how do you survive? Yeah. How do you, how do you actually survive this? I really thought that I'm, I'm not going to make it because I just couldn't get air into my lungs. Through the relaxations of um, these social distancing measures, certainly we were seeing a rise in the number of, um, um, of cumulative cases. It is the end of week five of SA's national lockdown and officially the end of 35 days of level five of the lockdown. Our people need to eat. They need to earn a living. Companies need to be able to produce and to trade. They need to generate revenue and keep their employees in employment. We have accordingly decided that beyond Thursday the 30th of April, we should begin a gradual and phased recovery of economic activity. That's right. SA is now on lockdown level four, but please keep in mind that this does not mean that the country is out of lockdown. A number of restrictions do still apply, and for the health and safety of our society, we plead with you to adhere to the latest restrictions. In the short podcast series, we follow Sunday Times reporter Alex Patrick and senior reporter Graham Hoskin as they track, record, and reflect on the real events and people that make up SA's biggest COVID-19 news stories. For Boots on the Ground, behind SA's national lockdown, I am Zama Lutuli. Moving into level four, has been marked by a palatable shift in mood for a lot of us, and our journalists are not excluded. In a short span of time, many South Africans have been made to come to terms with the fragility of their own stability and the trauma of watching others struggle. In today's episode of Boots on the Ground, behind SA's national lockdown, we speak to a COVID-19 survivor about overcoming the virus and Graham and Alex contemplate the scenes they've been faced with since the beginning of the national lockdown. Pia Puerta from Bumalanga went to a function on the 14th of March where he unknowingly contracted COVID-19 from another guest. In the week that followed, Pierre began to feel very ill. Graham spoke to Pierre about the experience and how desperate he was to protect his family from the infection. Talk, talk me through like how you got infected and, and when you realized that you were infected and your, your experience. During that week, I lost my, my uh, I couldn't taste any food. Everything just tasted the same. And towards that weekend, I got a bit of a high fever and I started battling to breathe. And uh, during that weekend, the people from the function from the previous weekend phoned me and they said to me that uh, one of the ladies that was at our table tested positive for the COVID-19. Uh, then I thought, well, I've got high fever and I'm back to, to breathe. But at that stage, I didn't realize that I was also positive. And that Sunday night, my fever really got very high. And the next morning, I didn't feel well. At that stage, I really thought uh, that I'm going to test positive. And when I got home, I got tested, and the result the next morning was that I was positive. And, and when, that, 
when you got that result, I mean, what went through your mind? What did you What did you think and what did you do? Wow, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing because, first of all, you've got to protect your family because at that stage, my son uh, moved in uh, to our house as well uh, because then the lockdown started and he said he's going to stay with us because he's staying all on his own in a flat. And the first thing that we realized that we have to separate. And the only thing, the only possible way was for me to go out of the house. And fortunately, my caravan was still standing outside. And we decided that my family is going to stay in the house and that we will have no contact at all. For 18 days, I stayed in the caravan and my, my family in, in the house. For Pierre, his family caravan was all that stood between the virus and his wife and son. In a sense, Pierre is lucky. Many South Africans would not have a method of keeping their loved ones healthy if they were to become ill. But being alone, sick and scared still took a toll on Pierre, particularly on the night the virus peaked, and he wasn't sure if he would be able to walk out of the caravan again. What was that like? I mean, what what was your that that first day that you isolated yourself? I mean, what did you? The first day, the first day was was a bit mixed up because I was still organising myself, and the next morning I really got sick, and that weekend I was I, I was really sick. I didn't even get up. Uh, I just stayed on the bed, and I was I was really battling to breathe. I didn't have any power to move around. Um, uh, it, it was terrible. At some stage, I thought I'm not going to make it. It's, uh, that, that one night, I cannot remember which night it was, but it was one of the nights over the weekend. I really thought that I'm, I'm not going to make it because I just couldn't get air into my lungs. But it was terrible. Some, especially that night, I can see my family now through the windows and they were making food. And uh, every night they bring out the plate and they put it outside on a table on a paper plate and then I go and collect it once they move back into the house and that was a terrible, very much terrible uh, to be on your own that after about 6 at night, from 6 until 10, 11 when you go to bed, it was it, that was the most terrible time of the day. Um, because you, you, at that stage you can see your family inside but you can't uh, communicate. Some, uh, sometimes I walk closer to the window and we had a bit of a chat through the, through the closed window, but it was not nice. It was that uh, I think after that weekend when I was terribly sick, the main thing was to keep your head right. It's, it's, uh, and to stay, to stay positive, not to, uh, to get negative and, and uh, yeah, it was it was the toughest to, to keep positive. And I mean, how long were you in isolation for, and what's it been like coming out? I mean, and seeing people around and seeing what people, other people think, are doing. <laughs> I think to get out of isolation, out of the caravan after eighteen days was like a guy. I don't know what it's like to be in jail, but I think it's more or less the same feeling to get out of jail. But it's, you get that little bit of freedom, and you can get in contact with your family and sit around the table and have a meal. Um, with him, that was <laughs> that was like heaven.
He says he was reassured that other people he encountered before being diagnosed were safe because his local health services did an incredibly thorough job. And, I mean, were you worried about having infected others? I mean, other than your, your family and that? Not really, because uh, once I got home, I, I was almost immediately into isolation. I did give them, uh, we were four caravans that came together on the south coast. I did give them names of the other people and they were immediately contacted by the medical personnel from our local hospital and uh, they all were tested and they were also checked every day. The temperatures were checked as well as my family and and they were as far away as, as from here, the flight near Bloemfontein. And luckily nobody else got infected with the virus. Sure. And, in, and in terms of like while you were at home, did the health department or health officials or health laboratory officials come around to to um, decontaminate your house and caravan? What yes, yes. Okay. Uh, they contacted me on a, uh, sometimes on a daily basis, and our doctor in town uh, also contacted me every day. She gave me a lot of support. The people from the hospital. I cannot remember which day they came out, but they came out with a, a completely, looks like space age men, uh, and with sprayers on their back, and they disinfected my old caravan on the inside and the outside. And they went also into the house and they sprayed the whole house with the alcohol-based sanitizer. It does, however, raise the question, if this is the level of disinfectant and monitoring that is needed for every confirmed case of COVID-19 in order to prevent further spread, how will medical personnel handle the spike in cases that have been predicted? After a quick break, we speak to a mathematician who has crunched the numbers. Time Select is your ticket to News Without the Noise, a daily digital edition of news, business, lifestyle, sport, and more. It's news you can trust anytime, anywhere. We know that's important now more than ever, and that's why we're offering a 60-day subscription to Time Select for just 60 Rand. Go to select.timeslive.co.za forward slash buy to sign up for this great deal. And now, back to the story. Professor Farai Nyabata, an advanced researcher in mathematical epidemiology, has been tracking the outbreak and the impact lockdown has had on the rate of infections in South Africa. So my name is Professor Farai Nyabadza, uh, and I'm the deputy head of department of the Department of Mathematics and Applied Mathematics at the University of Johannesburg. I actually specialize in applying mathematics to infectious diseases and in this particular case i actually do infectious diseases modeling the professor and his co-workers have developed a model which indicates that relaxing social distancing by two percent is expected to result in a 23 percent rise in the numbers of cumulative cases a troubling figure moving into level four of the national lockdown the professor explains some of their findings. So we were actually interested in this aspect of social distancing, that, you know, mathematically social distancing is not actually um, a preventative measure, but rather a way of uh, prolonging a process so that at least the government can actually be ready. So what we actually discovered was that 
through the relaxations of um, these social distancing measures, certainly we were seeing a rise in the number of um, um, of cumulative cases. And our model actually was actually spot on in predicting the number of cumulative cases up to today. We were actually playing around with a what-if scenario, like what if you increase um, the social distancing by 2% or what if you relax social distancing by 2%, what will be the impact on the number of cases? And so we realized that if you relax social distancing by about 2%, then the numbers would certainly jump up by uh, around 23%. What social distancing does is it simply, um, you know, reduces the size of the number of people that are going to be infected. Uh, but in essence, it's, it's not like um, it is going to stop the, the epidemic from going on. So it, what it does, it, it, pro, it prolongs the epidemic over a very long period of time. Um, but at the same time, it also gives you time to, to prepare. And at the same time, you don't have so many people that will actually uh, be frequenting um, our um, healthcare system or people that will actually overwhelm our, our healthcare system. So in my own opinion, I would act with, uh, with the new things that are, with the new regulations that are coming up, you know, there's, there's, there's this, this trade-off between uh, certainly survival and then the disease. Because in the end, you have people that are actually struggling at the present moment, but at the same time, we have got to control the disease. That's why you, you probably have seen that now it will be mandatory to wear masks and so on and so on and so on as to, 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 to keep the, the spread of the disease. You know, my, our expectation is that... Um, now we will actually have um, an increase in the number of cases. But there's also one good thing about it, that um, now the government seems to be prepared to deal with the new cases that would actually arise. So we, we don't have as yet um, what, in terms of percentages, what this would actually give rise to. But certainly, um, now that people are going back to the industry, and we will have, again, an increase in our public transport sector. Certainly, our social distancing is now going to actually be reduced significantly. And in this case, we will certainly see a rise in the numbers. This is my, my prediction from, uh, from a mathematical point of view. Professor Nyabadza explains that UJ will continue to model the local numbers of infection in order to help us better understand what each level of the lockdown will realistically do for the country. We are going to take another short break, and when we get back, Graham and Alex chat to each other about the things that they have seen and how they are handling the mental strain of reporting on the lockdown. Time Select is your ticket to news without the noise, a daily digital edition of news, business, lifestyle, sport, and more. It's news you can trust anytime, anywhere. We know that's important now more than ever, and that's why we're offering a 60-day subscription to Time Select for just 60 Rand. Go to select.timeslive.co.za forward slash buy to sign up for this great deal. Let's return to the story. As 
my friend. Okay, how are you? Yeah, I'm feeling a bit weird, eh? What's wrong? No, no, relax, relax. I'm no, just I'm worried not... about you. No, ach, the fuck. <laughs> uh, I, had a, I had an emotional weekend, uh, week this week. I a, yeah, I think it's, a, and it's also lack of sleep. I've been going to bed, like, super late. Yeah, yeah. So, it hasn't helped. Yeah. <clears throat> Alex and Graham agreed to undertake this podcast just before the lockdown commenced. And while they are very used to reporting on some of the most awful elements of humanity, reporting on a story with no clear wrongdoer is complicated. There seems to be no one to hold accountable for the suffering that they are witnessing. Like all of us, they are experiencing the lockdown. It is happening to them and their loved ones. But they are also witnessing the most heart-wrenching struggles. And like all of us, they are powerless to stop it. Alex and Graham's frustration is not uncommon in South Africa at the moment. Without a clear right or wrong path in this situation, the balancing of health and safety versus freedom of movement and livelihoods is becoming a serious bone of contention. A lot of what's kind of on my mind is like the 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 kind of human impact of everything and I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm also, I'm doing 5 a.m. wake-ups and then, um, you know, like 1 o'clock bedtime. And um, just feeling really, really kind of, it's almost like a depression that yeah. kind of sinks in. Um, I've been thinking about, uh, you know, a lot of my friends have lost jobs and uh, a lot of, you know, uh, with a lot of pay pay cuts. Yeah. Um, a lot of retrenchments and yeah, crazy. Yeah, and I've just been um, and then also you go out onto the field and you're seeing people even in like even worse positions than you. Yeah. On um, when was it Thursday? I was uh, I was in Elias Mosuledi again, and yeah. um, uh, also you know doing a story on the Sasa grants and. And um, how how people now have to wait six more days, um, and people were showing mm. the inside of their cupboards and their fridges, and I mean, there's nothing. You know, mm. one woman has like two cups of maize meal for seven family members, and that's yeah. gonna have to last for six days. You know? No, it's not. Uh, I mean, oh, I, mean, I was so, so for me, it was like it's look, it's survivability here. Yeah. Mm. That's that's what it is for for me. I mean, it's like just how the hell do people survive? I I have no idea. You know, I'm feeling a little bit like spooked mm. in that. Yeah. You know, and just I haven't been feeling well. But I mean, it's not. I know it's not anything serious, but I mean, yeah. things start you know going through your mind, and you start exactly. like, what if? You know, and then. I've like also just been feeling like this massive sense of guilt. Really? Yeah, it's just like this, this like, you know, I don't know, I was sitting to somebody and say, oh, maybe it's survivor's guilt. And I'm like, mm. well, survivor's guilt is like when you have, when you die. Yeah. Also, you know, you're in like a near-death experience. Uh, experience. And they were saying, yeah, but you, you could very well have survivor's guilt because you see people mm. who don't have anything. I think it is. Yeah. I think it is survivor's guilt, and I've, you know, myself, I've, I've been very weepy, you know, yeah. coming back from, from especially the townships. 
Yeah, so I mean, I was when I was up on the border, and you see people's desperation. I mean, you can really, really see it. And like you say, you go go to the the townships and informal sectors, and you see people's desperation. And then you come home, mm. and it's like you're warm, you're safe, you can mm. cook a meal, you know. And it's like, then I'm just like, you selfish. Yeah, it's like stop being such a selfish twat. Yeah. Mark was saying to me, because I've been also, uh, we took food to some of the families we support. Yeah. And it like wasn't enough, you know. I just felt, I felt that guilt. And he, my, Mark kept saying to me, you know, it's probably more groceries than they've seen. But it's just, you know, you look at their two children um, and you just wonder, like, what is the future here? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, like there's peace on the ground, right? So I was interviewing mm. Sessa CEO, mm. and it's like, okay, so why are they? What is the the rationale for the delaying in the grants? And she mm. says, no, it's to stop, it's to protect people. So I'm like, but how are you protecting people? Yeah. So she's like, well, there's going to be a mad rush for the shops at the end of the month because everybody gets paid. I'm like, okay, no, I understand that, I get that. Yeah. But can't you know? Can't you bring it forward? The payment dates for the elderly and the disabled and the mm. kids, etc. And it's like no, because government would then have to borrow, and we've already borrowed the money because they only get the, the government only gets its revenue from us taxpayers at the end of the month. Oh. Um, so then they've got to borrow money, and then under the lockdown, it's uh, and the junk status, it's yes. so much more difficult and so much more interest, etc. So is that and why they moved it back? That's apparently why they moved it back. Oh. I was like, really? Uh, you know, you've got 18 million grants you need to pay out. Yeah. You know, it's 15 billion odd rand or 20 billion rand. Yeah. You know, the thing of moving it by one week, it means that if you get a grant of 440 odd rand for a kid, mm. that means for a week you're not going to have that you, you, you have you budget that money for a month. Exactly. But now you say you got five weeks and an extra week. And if they exactly. say so I was chatting to a couple of NGOs and they were yeah. saying, you know, on average a caregiver looks after two kids, a minimum of two kids. Mm. And if you get a grant you don't get a food you don't get a exactly. government pass. So now you've got no money to go buy food. Yeah. And you've got no food. And you're not allowed to access a food grant. I'm just like this is the most screwed up system ever. Screwed up, and and also chatting to to uh, people who who do rely on grants. I mean, to try and get them to talk about it because they mm. also they don't want to talk about it because they do rely on the food drop offs as well. Yeah. And you can say you know, but you've got three child grants, but I mean, four hundred and forty five rand a month, and it doesn't it's, just it's feed crazy. those kids; it feeds the family. Yeah, I, I was talking to her about the COVID grant, and that's mm. 350 rand. Mm. I said, how did you get to that amount? No, there's only a limited amount of money. They estimate that by the end of September, there will be 7 million people on the grant. Mm. So I'm like, okay, but now what happens in a household? No, well, if you're homeless, you can't access the grant. Mm. If you are in a government shelter, you can't access the grant. Mm. If you're on a government grant, you can't access the grant. Mm. If you're on UIF, this NSFAS, any any government assistance, you can't access a grant. And then, so I said, okay, well, if I'm living in a house, my brother and I and my sister are unemployed. Mm. 
can we all access the grant? No. Only really? two people only two people in the house can access what? the grant. I didn't I thought it was per person. No, it's two per household. Jeez. I'm like, okay, but now how do people access the grant? Oh no. She no, says no, no sorry. Yeah, she says no, it's electronic. So I'm like, okay, but like how? She says no. I said, Do you need a smartphone? She says, No, you don't. You can do it via normal WhatsApp or SMS. I'm like, okay. But you when you tested the system last week, it crashed. Yeah, they had a hundred thousand applications last weekend for this thing. Please. They're expecting five hundred thousand at the end of this month. Wow. I'm like, how's your system going to cope with it? No, we've sorted everything out. Everything's fine. That's no, just that's a complete stuff. Because uh, I mean, speaking to people on the ground with who do not have smartphones, um, yeah. do not have data. Yeah. Don't have access to computers. They, it, it, one, one, uh, Timbeka, one of the women that I spoke to, she's 26. She, she was like, uh, even when you do get grants, it's gonna take like months to process them. This yeah. is with UIF. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of people who applied for, for UIF at the beginning of the five months, uh, five weeks of lockdown, um, still haven't received any word. And I, like I was chatting to like Black Sash and um, UCT Children's Institute and that, and they were saying, you know, we know the efforts of government, mm. but it's just it's like last minute, it's mm. and it's too little, too late. Mm, absolutely, they, sh- they should have done this stuff months ago. Yeah, and pre like, that was gonna. Yeah, I mean, you you know something's gonna come. Mm. I mean, and like now, it's just rush around, rush around, rush around. I mean. I said, how many people are you planning and processing? No, we expect 500,000. I'm like, your system crashed on 100,000. You're now going to process 500,000 people. I'm like, all your SASA officers are closed. No, we're going to bring them back up a lot. I'm like, okay, how many people? No, we're going to only have 30% capacity. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's going to work. We're promising, we're promising all this extra money. A, a lot of people thought, though, that the extra kind of top-up money is for the other grants. Yeah. Like per child, but it's mm-hmm. one per household. No, I mean, they, yeah. Then, it comes, uh, you know, six months later and they're like, cool, we're going to stop paying you now. Yeah, no, it suddenly ends. Then you, you're back in shit street again. Yeah. When you get, so each kid now this month gets 300 rand added to their, their child support grant, which is, mm-hmm. it's fine. Mm. You know, well, I mean, it's not fine. They need a lot more. I mean, the poverty, yeah. Poverty line is a thousand two hundred. These poor kids are getting like this month seven hundred and something yeah, rand. Absolutely. And then next month they, that money gets taken away, mm. and then the the their caregiver gets five hundred bucks. Yeah. It's like you know you're trying to rob Peter to pay Paul, and steal from Susie and Sandra and everybody else. Uh, it's just like what the fuck? I'm like, how do you expect people in this country to survive? Yeah. And it's like I just. I, I don't know how people survive. I have no idea. And it's not like, oh, we're on level four now. Everything goes back to normal. Yeah. It's like, okay, like we're still in lockdown. Um, yeah. Those jobs are still not available. And if we do go on to like level one or we go back to normal, like what's left for, for everyone? There's, there's like bugger all left. Nothing. There's nothing. I mean, it's it's like we don't know how long level four is going to be. Yeah. Be, um, on four. Yeah. You know, it could be months. It could be another three months. 
Um, I mean, they're talking about this thing going on until for six months, but yeah. then, uh, then, yeah. then it's level three, then level two, then hopefully level one, and then hopefully we like back to bloody normal. But I mean, it's just who knows? We might. I mean, we could <laughs> even digress. We could go um, backwards. Yeah. It's, yes, it's crazy. Mm. It's just, oh, I, I, I don't know. For me, this week is just like, how do you survive? Yeah. How do you, how do you actually survive this? The question that kept coming up in their conversation was, how are people meant to survive? A question a lot of us are wrestling with at the moment. It seems possible that a lot of South Africans who emerge on the other side of this with their health and income intact may, like Graham and Alex, experience a form of survivor's guilt, as they put it. With many restrictions in place, Level 4 feels like a hollow victory for those following the new regulations. For others, it is easier to pretend that level four is the end of the lockdown altogether. The process has been and continues to be hard for many South Africans. Confirmed cases and related deaths are mounting, but we remain hopeful that the efforts taken by the government, essential services and communities will make a difference. For Boots on the Ground, Behind SA's National Lockdown, a production of Multimedia Live, I am Zamalutuli. You are listening to Boots on the Ground behind SA's National Lockdown. Boots on the Ground is a short podcast series documenting South Africa's national lockdown as a result of the outbreak of COVID-19. Boots on the Ground is a true piece of mobile journalism. All interviews, voices, and sound effects have been gathered using nothing but smartphones. Boots on the Ground is a production of Multimedia Live, a division of Arena Holdings. Narration done by Samar Lutuli. Audio gathered by Graham Hoskin and Alex Patrick. Sound design and editing by Paige Muller. Production by Multimedia Head Scott Peter Smith. To catch the next episode of Boots on the Ground for free, please subscribe to the podcast on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.